the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings nearly 40 years of experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If this is the first time you heard the show, hey, welcome aboard. If you've heard the show before, you know a little bit about the format. Uh, the first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. In today's world, it's very important to stay out of court. And as far as elder law is concerned, our main concern is saving our house, mostly our house, from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. Today, I think we're going to be talking to Father Paul, uh, probably about history and religion in, in the Middle East. And as most of you know, we start the show, one of our attorneys joins us for the first part of the show, and our semi-regular attorney on this, Nicole Donnelly, is here. Hello, hello, everyone. (laughs) Okay, Nicole, now what we were talking about, this wasn't a question, but it is something that pops up once in a while. People are coming in with huge books that are trusts, in theory, trust agreements. And, you know, it's there are a lot of problems with these books. I don't know how... Anybody really ever, why anybody would buy one, what they're charging people for it, but can you just saw somebody with one of those books. So what I find is that 90% of the time, the people who get these books do not read the book because it's so long and it seems like a foreign language to them and they're trusting the attorneys that are providing this book. And 99% of the time when we actually read through the book, it doesn't say what they told the attorney they wanted as their plan. So I would say estate planning goes wrong 100% of the time when you start with a big book. I, I wouldn't say quite that much. You know, sometimes if you want a revocable trust and you got two kids and they get along, there might be, you know, but the, the problem that I've seen with a lot of these books is that the language within the book is contradictory. You know, page 17 contradicts page 95, page 95 contradicts page 115, and of course, who's going to read the whole thing? I don't know what client's going to read a book of 150 pages of legalese, and what's included, what's not included, half the times, like those standard books, the power of attorney they give you in those books is not adequate to, you know take care of your estate planning needs, especially, God forbid, you go to a nursing home or you have advanced estate planning and you need to make some gifts or to 
you know, at some point in the future to save on the estate tax, which right now in New York is $6 million. And uh, talk about the one thing about revocable becoming irrevocable that you saw. So we had some clients come in and it was a husband and wife and you would assume that husband and wife revocable trust does not become revocable upon the passing of the first of them except it should become irrevocable upon the passing of the last of them because you want the surviving spouse to always be able to change it. That's the point of having it revocable with both parties in charge. This kit made it irrevocable upon the passing of the first spouse, leaving the other spouse with their hands tied as far as changes are concerned. And that could be very problematic for a number of reasons. And just not now, what they wanted. Now, there may be some reasons to do that. You know, upon, I, I, I'll give you one, let's say second marriage situation where the division of the trust is 50-50 to, let's say, the husband's children, 50% to the wife's children, and they they don't want the survivor to disinherit the other's respective children. So sometimes we do do that. It's It's not like there's a set answer for everything but in the case you're talking about as far as i could tell there was no reason at all to make the trust irrevocable at any point it, it wasn't needed it wasn't it didn't accomplish any estate goal because there were exceptions as far as you know medicaid and nursing homes where they could easily get medicaid within a few months because of, of the circumstances involved and probably we should spend a you know, a section on the exempt transfers if somebody's going to a nursing home, what can we do, you know, even the, let's say the month before going to a nursing home, which one of those things is getting married. Um, which, surprisingly enough, a lot of clients are very much against. Some are definitely for it, but I mean, we had one client and we told him we can save them up to a million dollars in taxes and by golly, she was not having it. Independent women all her life and she was not willing to budge on getting married. So if you're looking to not get married, maybe do a little bit more extensive planning, maybe look into charities if you're above the threshold because paying a million dollars in tax is i know it makes mr connor sick and it's starting to make me sick too <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to the books and, and another complaint i have against these books is they're basically loose leaf binders and there's no security so you have you know basically in effect whether will is part of it or or not part of it the there's no security. Somebody could take one page out of the loose leaf binder and put another one in. And I, to me, I feel very uncomfortable in that. I mean, listen, it's not that if you staple a document that you can guarantee that nobody's going to line up the staples properly and not be able to get away with a, a forgery of some sort of another. But still, clerks in, in the surrogate's court, and sometimes we complain about this, but clerks in the surrogate's court do look at documents, and if the staples are removed, they flag it. And basically, you have to have either a mini-hearing or affidavits or all the children consent to the change, and if there is a change, consent to the will. But in today's world, you know, you just don't go down. You, you know, when I first started practicing law, let's say somebody took the staples out of the will, 
uh, you go down in the surrogate's court, talk to the clerk, and say, this is the same will we signed. It leaves everything to the kids in three equal shares. They've all consented to the will. And basically, if you went down on uh, 2 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon, they would okay it for probate that afternoon. Now, everything, it seems to go through committee. Everybody takes a second look at it, third look at it. You know, and I, I guess part of the reason is, uh, you know, I hear is that there are probably more people trying to play stunts today than there used to be. I mean, when I first started practicing law, when you wanted to probate a will, you didn't necessarily need a certified copy of the death certificate. Because who would say that you were dead when you weren't dead? <laughs> but apparently, you know, there's, you know, wife, a wife is, finds out she's dead when she wasn't because her husband put that down and got probate on her estate, moved all the assets to South America or whatever, and... <laughs> You know, she was. There's no lack of creativity in this world today, that's for sure. And just touching back on that power of attorney, some of the power of attorneys that we see in the kits, well, all of them that we see in the kits we know are inadequate, but some people have power of attorneys from the bank. And there is a difference between the power of attorneys just for finances and a general power of attorney. Do you want to go through that for the listeners? Because some people tell me all the time, well, I already have power of attorney. I can, I can have access to my mother's account or my father's account. And that's also very different from being a joint owner on an account. I'll give you one example. Let's say you want to apply for home care Medicaid, and we have that problem right now. Let's say you want to apply for home care Medicaid and you got $3,000 a month income, you know, let's say $1,500 a month pension and $1,500 a month Social Security. Um, well, technically, if you want to apply for home care Medicaid, that's roughly $2,000 too much. So if you want to apply for home care Medicaid, we have to set up what's called the pooled income trust. And let's say when we're applying for the pooled income trust for Medicaid, if Medicaid finds out that you don't have the authority under the power of attorney to set up a trust, then they could just say, hey, we're not approving this application. We're not going to work on this application because you don't have the authority to, to set up the pooled income trust. So we don't have to work on the, the file because you don't have the authority. Your mother, your father is not eligible for Medicaid. And goodbye. And this happens, you know, I would say it happens to us at least once or twice a year. The alternative is to try real hard to get another power of attorney signed if we can, or possibly have to go to court to get a guardian appointed to complete the application. And even then, it's up to the judge. And going through court right now is not, again, an easy thing. Sometimes going to court could take six months, a year. You have to account for everything. You have need court permission to do virtually, you know, do anything. So, you know, power of attorney, you have a form that says power of attorney, does not mean that it's valid or it's good to do all the transactions you may need to do if you're going to apply for Medicaid. And I can't stress that enough. And then also sometimes, let's say we have somebody who's got more than a $6 million estate. They're sick. We want to make gifts in excess of $5,000. Well, the standard power of attorney only allows you to make gifts of $5,000. So let's say for the sake of argument, we got somebody who's got three kids and 10 grandkids, and they're over $6 million, and literally by giving away possibly $100,000, we can, you know, we, we can save $100,000 in taxes. So the, this, the power of attorney you find in those books usually is not, I mean, sometimes attorneys do, do make changes to them, but the, the powers of attorney done in those books are not adequate to meet your estate planning needs. And if you want to come in and talk to us about it, 
Our phone number is 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. We don't charge for the initial consultation, and then we go from there. So if you have any doubt, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by Nicole Donnelly. Always a pleasure. So about 1030. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it harder to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A home equity conversion mortgage may be the answer for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Give me a call so our team here at Contour Mortgage can show you how the loan program works and how much you and your family may qualify for. My job is to help you find the best solution for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this mortgage program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-954-7463. Once again, that's 888-954-7463, and you could be on your way to a better retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591, Contour Mortgage Corporation, NMLS number 34384, 990 Stewart Avenue, Suite 660, Garden City, New York, 11530, Licensed Mortgage Banker, New York State Department of Financial Services. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope, we can give them medicines, we can give them medical equipment, we can give them everything they're looking for, because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, they are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help, too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, you know, we're very, very happy to have Father Paul back in the United States. He's going to tell us what's going on overseas. Well, welcome to the show, Father. Thank you so much, Mr. Connors. Thank you, Mike and Beth. And to everyone who's listening, have a blessed Monday. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so we're on a, you know, we're getting new viewer, viewers, listeners each week. But those of you who haven't heard you before on the radio or haven't met you, can you give the audience a little bit of your background and where, where are you stationed right now? Absolutely, yes. So, um, many hugs from Beirut. That's my, that's my uh, magic place to be. 
um, I'm now a little bit um, uh, kind of in, in New York City uh, to meet my friends. Um, I'm a Franciscan, a Capuchin friar, so a rebel, because St. Francis from Assisi was a rebel. And for almost one year, we tried to um, to create a medical help space for our Christians in, in the Middle East, especially in Lebanon. Um, and uh, being a Franciscan and a physician at the same time, it's a blessing. And I'm very happy that uh, I was I was able and still able to to have Christian communities, especially in Lebanon, uh, because they need us. So this is who I am. Okay, now what is what is the situation of Lebanon? When I was in grammar school, you know, we were taught that Lebanon was the virtually the only Christian country in the Middle East, but that's changed over the years now, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes. It, it has changed dramatically. Um, and now we have um, a Christian community is actually a minority community, and a lot of restrictions, a lot of limitations. Um, Christian community is actually um, suffering, uh, not just because of never-ending civil wars, but now food crisis, uh, health crisis, political crisis, and usually everyone is blaming Christian community, even though they're like maybe 20% now of the entire society. Um, so the, the radical Islam, of course, is gaining a lot of space. So this, that's something that uh, makes um, Christian community uh, very uncomfortable. But what we're trying to do, we try to really, uh, on a daily basis, help them out, feed them, provide medical help. But Lebanon these days is no longer that Lebanon that you know, Mr. Connors, from your high school studies. It's, it's really a struggle now, and, and, and it's a very hugely unequal society, uh, very unstable economy, uh, very much job market is actually miserable, especially for Christians. A lot of them, they would love to leave the country, but they have no, uh, they have no options, they have no uh, opportunities. So um, the state scrambled, um, and so in the meantime also, Lebanon is, is actually a victim of, of war in Ukraine because uh, lack of food is because there, there are no, no more food provided uh, by international organizations because of the war in Ukraine. Uh, it's hard to deal with that food insecurity in Lebanon, but it is what it is uh, realistically. A lot of tension between Christian community and Islamic movements. So that's basically our reality, Mr. Connors. Now, some of the people over here, and we've discussed this before when you've been on the show, but they sometimes get confused between different terminology, like what is Hamas, what is Hezbollah, and what do you deal with mostly? Oh, okay. Um, so that's a great question. So um, so Hamas is an is a, is a, is a organization in, in, in Palestine, and... Um, it's actually um, everything about independence of Palestine. It was established in 1987 in Gaza, in Palestine. And so what they, Hamas is much more uh, connected to um, Palestinian independence. Hezbollah on the other side. Hezbollah, they call themselves, uh, they, come to, they call themselves party of God. And uh, what they, what they, 
do they, they believe that uh, Lebanese independence can be only protected by them. It's a Shia Islamist political party, and they are uh, they were established in 1982 in the south of Lebanon, and so they consider themselves as protectors of Lebanese independence. So it's now, all about Lebanon and independence. Again, now, Father, what what is the difference between Shia and Sunni, or Sufi for that matter? Father. Yes, actually, that's a great uh, question. Um, so, long story short, uh, uh, long story short. So, when the Prophet Muhammad um, died, um, so let's say the family split, divided. They, they, they said, you know, this cousin is is the one who follows Prophet teaching. Um, perfectly well. The other cousin is not really doing the job. So it, it was a kind of also a vicious and devastating type of violence within the family. So so this is between Sunni and Shia. Um, the differences are probably the differences are about which one is closer to Prophet Muhammad's teaching. So both of them they claim they're the only followers. Uh, but Shia makes about 10% of the global Muslim population, uh, Sunni are the rest. Um, similarities, the, the Quran, of course, Hadith, five pillars of Islam. Uh, but differences is mostly ideological, relates to questions of religious authority, of leadership. Uh, they, they believe that, you know, uh, everyone believes that their prophet's closest companion, and, and so it's, it's really, um, it's really like a family split in half where, where they say, oh, um, I'm the only one who, who understands the whole teaching of Prophet Muhammad. The others, they say, no, we are the one uh, following. So, you know, basic differences are about, uh, it's all about uh, how they process, how they follow up with the teaching uh, between Sunni and Shia. And it's, it's actually... Um, about kind of religious uh, approach, and that what makes the tension between both of them. Now we know that Iran is a menace for you because of Hezbollah, you know, as as their proxy. But yes. what what is the yes. relationship with Saudi Arabia? Oh, great question! Great question. So, of course, um, Saudi Arabia would never uh, uh, kind of admit you know, who's the enemy, because, you know, they try to be very, very much... Um, Play every side. Uh, ...politically correct or whatever, like, let's say independent. But actually, uh, Saudi Arabia is a Sunni Islam, that is state religion. Shia is, is majority in Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan, Bahrain, Lebanon. So, of course, uh, Saudis would never accept the idea of Hezbollah running the country because it's a different religious community. It's a kind of interesting also because people think that Islam is united. It's a one force, but it's not actually it's very divided. They're divided and, and they're divided. So, so Saudi Arabia might would never admit uh, that they are uh, acknowledging or, 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 or kind of, you know, uh, understand um, the Hezbollah movement. It's, it's a very separated organization. Right. Now, what was, what was the impact of the, what was the impact of the Iraq War on Lebanon? 
the war in Iraq wrecked uh, Christians. Uh, a lot of Christians left uh, Iraq and through Syria or Jordan, they ended up in Lebanon. So we ended up with, with almost two million uh, refugees in Iraq. And uh, later, we ended up with 1.5 million refugees from Syria. So any war is actually tracking down Christians. Uh, you know, the Arab Spring mm -hmm. was the open gate to, to uh, eliminate Christians and Christianity. Uh, so this is the main, the main, um, well, I mean, people call it the Arab Spring. People call it the Arab Spring, but I feel like it should be called the Arab Fall because of all the damage it did. Yes, or, or winter for Christians. Yeah. Or winter for Christians yeah. because everything that happened to them was just... Uh, and for, and for history. Yeah, and for history, yes. because of all the the relics destroyed, the, you know, so much. Oh, yes, and the persecutions. Yes. In Egypt, no one talks about daily persecutions of Christians in Egypt. I mean, Morsi was so underratedly yeah. evil, truly. Yes, but absolutely. Al-Sisi yes. seems to be trying to rebuild some of it, even if he's using a strong hand to do it. Yes. So this it is crazy, and, and it's really, understandably, uh, it's also very unstable situation. But Christians, they pay the price till now. So that, that's suddenly, you know, any war has an impact on people, but Christian communities suffer the most. Yeah. Now, we had conversations about who the most evil person in the world was. And, you know... We ended up being split between Xi Jinping and Erdogan in Turkey. Yes. Now tell us tell us about Turkey and why Turkey's actions as of late have been so evil. Well, uh, he wants to be a sultan, of course. Mm -hmm. um, he wants to he wants really dictate his idea of, of an understanding of Islam. Uh, he wants to have a radical Islam. That's how he he started the whole process of changing things in, in Turkey. That was a kind of a, a secular republic. But well, that and, and that goes back to uh, that goes back to Ataturk. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, one hundred percent. And also uh, the tension is because um, he believes that he's the only one who who understands. Uh, Islamic teaching. He's the only one who knows how to process things. But even Turkey population, which is very young actually, they are really concerned. But what he's doing, he's using uh, manipulation, he's using misinterpretation, he's using misguidance, uh, just because he believes he, he's supposed to be the next one. It, it's kind of interesting because they try to really separate themselves from the Ottoman Empire, but what he's doing, he tried to recreate the same idea kind of uh, in, in the modern era. So um, this is a very vicious circle of things that he's doing. He put a lot of um, intellectuals in jail the judges, he's tracking down anyone who is, who is opposing his, his uh, ideas. So this is a very vicious evil circle, what's going on in, in Turkey now. And bringing it back around, how does that affect us? How does that affect how the West should be viewing everything? Well, the West has to understand that there is not such thing like intellectual Islam where we talk about teaching, where we talk about uh, interpretations. Um, the Quran is very clear. 
eliminating Christians. That's the goal number one. And uh, so we have to also understand that um, we can't just miss um, miss that uh, idea of a Quran where, where Christians uh, are to be they're all to be eliminated. Can you tell um, Can you tell our audience what takia is? What's what? Takia. I don't. I may not. Be, I may be mispronouncing it. But the idea that it's allowable to lie to non-believers. Yes. Yes. Which is which is also to misguide them. Mm-hmm. Which is also to mis. It's more like misguiding them. Why? Because the goal is whether it's to convert or to kill anyone who doesn't want to convert. Um, but this is more like a, a, a misguidance. Uh, lies, yes. This is a very, very strong point. And also, uh, let's be honest, um, the radical Islam is, is very powerful because they have a tremendous support, financial support from Iran or or, or from different countries where, where really people are, are convinced that Islam should be always be the number one. So that's why Christian community is suffering because of that. Mm-hmm. But our our mission is actually to help Christian community to understand they are not abandoned. We do our best to help them out, where, whether med- medically or with food. Yes. Where does your community live? So northern part of Lebanon is mostly Christian. Southern part of Lebanon is mostly Muslim communities. So our mission is is anything uh, up to the north from Beirut right to the Syrian borders where we try to where we try to help the Christian communities. So what is your daily I, I you probably don't have a routine, but what do you do weekly? What what's your mission each week? Especially now, yeah, especially now it's because of food insecurity, I'm actually a great driver because I'm I'm buying food from Jordan, uh or, or before uh, before we would find to also um, have some food uh, uh from from Egypt. So my number one is to feed people first because from any medical perspective I can't treat anyone medically if someone is hungry. And, and this last couple of, of months, uh, given the food insecurity, my my daily routine or weekly routine was going back and forth to Jordan, buy food, feed families, um, because in each area it's, it's about two, three hundred families. Um, so you know, I'm spending around two fifty, three hundred dollars per week um, just to to pay my the transport and the car, and uh, I'm using the the US ambulance. To go back and forth to Amman. So now it's all about food. And once someone is is is, is uh, adding food, I can talk about medical uh, health. But this is my reality, Mr. Carlos. This is buying food, feeding Christian community, and only Christian community. Uh, that's my mission: is to help Christians. Now, why is why is Jordan so kind to Christians when other powers in the region are not? I think because historically all these tribes are actually very, they have a very peaceful uh, collaboration and peaceful existence, and also the King of Jordan really tries to keep things, um, you know, in a good way. Uh, so the Christian community is just really present, and um, but also that there's no there's no issues between the government or, or the King of Jordan. So they're really 
they really understand the issue and and they they know that you know every time I cross the border back and forth they know that I'm actually buying food for Christian community in Lebanon so that's secret but I've never had any issues it was always they were always very supportive and and sometimes they add extra box of of, of fruits of, of veggies for for our um, for our community so that's fantastic yes I, I have no complaints it takes time of course because you know we have to drive every time a couple of hours. We don't have highways over there. It's a very simple road, so it takes time. But I'm happy to to do this because you know the first number one. That's remember from the gospel. Jesus said, "You have to feed them." So we're trying to follow up with it. Now where now we do run commercials on this show, and please listen to the commercial because when we're talking about St. Francis in Beirut, we're talking about Father Paul's mission. But how can people besides prayers? How can people help you? What do you need? That's a great question. So um, we don't need clothes or or and then you know um, things for children. Sometimes people are are sending us um, games or something because they don't have that type of traditions. Uh, we actually always we we wanted a medical equipment or medications and now food to be provided. So um, if, if someone would like to help us financially. Uh, the best ways to to um, to send us a check to San Francis of from San Francis from Assisi. Um, it's our NGO, our our nonprofit organization that we had a chance to create with you, Mr. Connors and Mike and Beth. Uh, San Francis in Beirut. It's it's a new uh, nonprofit organization, that, and that's how we are trying to help Christians. What what we usually do once we receive a donation. Um, we can use this money to convert to a local currency and buy food in the way, the same way I do this in Inaman, or provide medication. So uh, that's the best way uh, to help us because sending anything to to Beirut, uh, it's going to cost us a lot of money to pay taxes, ship, shipment. Uh, but once we have uh, financial support, so we can use our bank in Amman in Jordan, and we can just buy things right away. Uh, and that's the, the easiest way because we have at least two or three hundred families per week. Uh, we're buying food for them, especially now this last couple of weeks, uh, months. How, what, what is the daily diet of the people you're helping? How much? How much food do they have? So I usually buy around 60, 70 kilograms of food, which is bread, veggies, um, sometimes fruits. But most of the time, I, I because um, that's the easiest way also to to transport is, is bread, which is a very flat bread that I'm sure you know. Uh, veggies, so so potatoes, uh, tomatoes, you know that type of things, or green veggies, so they can really mix them up and, and cook something uh, for a soup. Um, I, I'm bringing also a lot of equipment for like uh, to cook. Uh, so they can they can use it as well. Most of the that equipment that they had at home is so old, it's, it's not really usable. Uh, so yeah, that's basically what I'm what I'm bringing. Uh, now we we were thinking about doing a fundraiser very soon, but your schedule was such that it was difficult for you to get back to the states and plan something. So we're going to try to do something in the spring, maybe late winter, early spring, in March, April. Oh yes, absolutely. I think next year, April or May, 
that will be perfect. We will have time and and, and my friends, whoever is listening to us, you can always join us and help us because I do believe if we don't have Christian community and Christians, who's going to do this? I mean, they, they, we cannot abandon them. They're like a member of our global Christian family. We have to do something for them. So absolutely, Mr. Connors, I think next year, April or May, that sounds fantastic. So we can really help a larger group of Christians in, in Lebanon, especially uh, by the Syrian border. So they can really feel that they, they matter, that they are a part of our family. That would be great. We can't forget them. Yeah. Absolutely. So you want to give our audience, uh, and you know, on a lighter note, I heard that you agreed to officiate at uh, Nicole's wedding. who was just on the show earlier. Correct. Yes, correct. And it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a lot of joy. And I hope Nicole is ready for that. <laughs> I just heard her laughing outside, so I guess she is. <laughs> So it was going to be amazing. And uh, and again, Mr. Connors, Beth, and Mike, I really appreciate your time. Every time I'm, I'm, I'm a guest on your show, radio show, which is fantastic. And to all of the listeners, and, and I really appreciate all your kindness and help and prayers because we need it. I really appreciate it. And we have to say hello to Joe Piscopo for, for you. Oh, please do. He's the man. He's the best. He's the man. So... All my, my prayers are with him, his family. He's a really great guy. All right, Father, thank you for being on the show. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. 
Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Again, it's always a pleasure to have Father Paul, you know, on the show. Now, originally, I know some of you asked me about this already. We originally scheduled to have a fundraiser in November, but Father Paul's schedule was such that he wasn't able to make it. I mean, there are crises, there are emergencies in the Middle East, and he wasn't able to make it. So we're going to try for a new date, you know, sometime in the late winter, early spring or something right, like that, right. March or April. I've got to take a look at the calendar and see what might fit. But in the meanwhile, if you don't want to contribute anything to Father Paul, you know, we have the commercials on our show. Listen, if you want to contribute something, it's greatly appreciated. He really doesn't have that big a budget, you know, in, in doing its work or whatever. It's really a very small budget, but every dollar really is appreciated. And... You know, we do have an announcement to make as far as our Bayside office is concerned. Beth, what's the what's the news? Well, somebody bought the building that we're currently in and wants to use the whole building for his for his business. And um, so we're going to have to move. And we're going to be moving pretty soon, next week, the week after. But our new address is 4240 Bell Boulevard. 4240 Bell Boulevard and it's just a couple of blocks um, off Northern Boulevard so it's very easy to get to it's it's going to be easier for everybody to park so um, the move is a hassle but I think this is a whole lot better 4240 Bell Boulevard and it's Suite 604 um, I'm thinking we're going to be making the move next week or the week after so uh, we'll let everybody, you know. After Thanksgiving, probably you'll be seeing us. If you go to Bayside, you'll be right. seeing us in the new office. Right. Um, and uh, just a couple of points on that. If, if you're scheduling an appointment with our office in Bayside, double-check it. If you have scheduled an office with our uh, office in Bayside, double-check it before you go in because sometimes, you know, things kind of get lost in the cracks sometimes. Right. And you just want to make sure. And, by the way, if anybody has... Uh, you know, handicapped, accessible, or whatever. You go into the back of the building, and that's all on one level, and you can wheel a wheelchair in, and there's an elevator in the building. So there's no problem, you know, as far as access goes, handicapped, accessible. The only thing, you, you go to the front door, you see three, four steps. You go to the back entrance, and it's right on street level there, and you can wheel a wheelchair in, or if you've got a cane or crutches and you can't make it up the the first few steps there then you can go through the back just let you know but again 
If you schedule an appointment in our office in Bayside, just double check where you're going because little things happen, things get stalled, and you know it is possible there could be a little mix-up. It's only 20 blocks away, so if you're driving, it shouldn't be that big a deal, and it's less than 20 blocks when you, you really do the, the math on it. Now, of course, we had the election this past week, and of course, a lot of us are disappointed, but some of the bright spots on it is that three of our guests who are on this show won election, for the, two of them won election for the first time, and the third, Nicole, won re-election as a, as a representative of Congress from this district here. But congratulations to Lester Chang, who defeated incumbent, and Alec Brook-Prasny, who won, in effect, won back his old seat. He used to be a Democrat, now he's a Republican. And he won back his old seat, and Lester Chang, being an incumbent, has been around for 20 years or so, and he won that seat and turned it, you know, flipped it from blue to, to red. So congratulations and I mean, to all of them. Absolutely, congratulations to them. And, you know, Nicole beat Max Rose, trounced Max Rose by such a huge margin that, you know, with the tropical storm coming in that's named Nicole, I think this election should be called Tropical Storm Nicole for her. Well, it was well named, that hurricane. Um, and I want to say something for um, Zeldin because I think he did so well in these areas. I think he, his name at the top of the ballot helped. I don't know, you know? No, he, was, he conducted himself classily, which you don't always see. He was, he was gentlemanly, he was effective, and you, don't, you really don't see that that often in terms of, you know, down-ticket people profiting from an up-ticket person who unfortunately lost. Yeah, no, he did. He is a massive contribution to the resurgence of the Republican Party in New York State. I mean, I think seven new congressmen were elected from New York State, and we do have a voice, you know, on the red side of the aisle now in Washington. Of course, I don't understand why it's taking days and days to figure out who's representing us in Congress. I don't care how close the races are in today's world. That's a disgrace, but. That's something else again. In the meanwhile, though, if you want to talk about estate planning and elder law with this, please feel free to call for a consultation. This is how it works usually. There's no one right answer for everybody. People ask me this question all the time. Is it better for me to have a will or is it better for me to have a trust? And I mean, even the short answer is that everybody should have a will. Every single person out there should have a will. No matter what your circumstances are, you should have a will because you never know what's going to happen. You know, like. I don't need a will because everything I own is joint or in trust for someone else. So why do I need a will? There's nothing in my name. Well, then you could be going across the street, hit by a bus, there's a lawsuit. Who gets the money from the lawsuit? Who's in charge of the lawsuit? And I mean, weird things happen out in this world right now. So you, you never know what's going to happen. And the will takes care of a lot of those what ifs things. You have a bank account joined with somebody, that person dies before you, you don't get around to go to the bank to change it yet, and then you pass away, the will would cover that joint bank account that was, let's say, joint with someone else, and they passed away before you. And, you know, like I said, things do happen in this world, so everybody should have a will. If you own real estate, usually the, the best way to go if you own real estate is through a trust agreement. Now, I know a lot of people say, why don't I put my son or daughter's name on the deed? 
Well, there are too many bad things that can happen. Again, you put your son's name on the deed. It's not like you're putting son's name on a bank account. You put your son's name on a bank account. Something goes wrong, you go to the bank, you take the money out. You put your son's name on a deed, something goes wrong. His name's on that deed. You can't just take it back. You know, like for instance, for the sake of argument, you put your son's name on a deed. He dies before you, he's, he's married. Your wife probably has a claim against his estate. Your wife has a claim, his wife has a claim against your house. She may force you to sell that house. And when you change a deed, it's not like, it's not really putting somebody else's name on the deed. It's giving them a percentage of that house. And when you give them that percentage of that house, it's theirs. Bad things can happen, even for tax purposes. You know, I just spoke to a, you know, a lady today. She puts her daughter's name on the deed. She has a senior citizen's exemption. Then when her senior citizen's exemption up for renewal, her daughter, who's on the deed now, is not a senior citizen. So her real estate taxes go up. And in some cases, you know, real estate taxes go up three, $4,000 a year by not having the senior citizen's exemption. You don't just put somebody else's name on the deed. You know, your daughter, you know, maybe she's got a problem with her income taxes and the IRS puts a lien on her assets. You put your daughter's name on your deed, the IRS has a lien on your house. You can't sell a mortgage your house. Uh, your son gets in a car accident. He's got a lawsuit against him. Again, they, that lawsuit can be a judgment against your house if his insurance doesn't cover everything. And you could have a serious problem either trying to refinance your house, get a reverse mortgage on your house, or just selling it if there's a judgment in play. And, you know, that's why you do a trust agreement. In the trust agreement, the house is yours as long as you're alive. After you're gone, it passes to the next generation. It works like an insurance policy. The beneficiary of an insurance policy can sell or can cash in your policy a few days after you're gone without a court proceeding, usually tax-free, Tax-free in New York is $6 million per person now, $6 million for a husband, $6 million for wife. So you can usually sell the property completely tax-free without going to court, without going to probate. And probate right now takes longer than you'd like it to take. Because even in the, the counties that are handle the COVID situation better than some others, well, you know, there's still, there's still delays. Now, if, I mean, this may come off as a stupid question. I think, you know, it, I, I doubt there's any real possibility of this kind of thing happening. But, I mean, if somebody put up a pet trust and they were trying to look out for their pet with their assets, but they had debts set aside, would a bank be able to put a lien on a pet trust? It, it, it's kind of a weird set of circumstances that I don't think is going to happen. But could it happen? I guess it could happen, but if somebody has enough money to put aside money for the care of a pet, in all likelihood, they're not going to have judgments against them. And the pet is not a person, so who is the trustee for the pet? <laughs> No. I mean, this would make an interesting comedy movie. Oh, my goodness. Well, you yes. know, a Blake Edwards yes. type. <laughs> if somebody else were the trustee for the pet, then there would, could be a court hearing as to, um, you know, when was the trust established and when was the debts incurred and so forth and so on. But how much money would anybody be putting in trust for a pet that would make 
that we just don't know yeah but it could happen yeah. <laughs> it is so it is a possibility always looking out for our furry friends yeah but in that case the, the cost of defending that lawsuit or going through that lawsuit would be more than what's probably in that trust so sometimes a deal you think a deal would come yeah and i first of all i don't think they, they would be going after that but ordinarily, the, the the number that's in a pet trust is a small amount, and you know who's if somebody's in debt. Whatever well, I'm just thinking of Leona Leona Helmsley at this point. Yeah, you know? she's got millions of dollars. So, yeah, but she could have she could have incurred millions debt. And millions. She could have incurred debt on her real estate. Not that she did, but that she was through her will. If there were debts on the real estate, it wouldn't have gotten to the pet because it would have been that when liens against the estate. Now there we go. Okay, that's the. All right. Well, the main thing is make sure you have a trust because it could take too long to to probate a will. So if you want to take care of your your companions, your pet companions, then you better have a trust set aside, right? Right. And then if you're interested in doing a animal companion trust, let's just He's very considerate. All right. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Bye bye, everybody. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors and Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.